from St. Louis Public Radio. This is St. Louis on the Air. You know, a lot of them said they showed up to move into their apartments and, you know, their apartments weren't ready, you know, and they had, you know, U-Hauls full of their stuff outside. All, all this was going on and they were moving people in and kind of promising dates, you know, that they didn't hit to these tenants. At the same time, a, a rival developer was building a apartment complex across the street. It's fair to say this story was not a puff piece. You took kind of a, a very serious look at what they're up to. Have you gotten any pushback since this story was published? Um, I, I haven't. We haven't really heard uh, from, from the developers. I'm Sarah Fenske. St. Louis-based Lux Living has invested more than $150 million in the city in the past few years. The developer specializes in multifamily rentals, and its projects include nearly 1,000 units in DeBolivar Place, Lafayette Square, and Soulard. But with all that construction has come many, many disgruntled tenants, and some observers now questioning why the city continues to give the company tax subsidies for its work. Lux Living's work was the recent subject of a story by the Post-Dispatch is business, politics, and economic development reporter. That is Jacob Barker, and he joins us today. Jacob, welcome. Hey, thanks for having me, Sarah. So, Jacob, people might know this company as Lux Living, or they used to be STL Citywide, and even before that, they were Aspirant. Who are these guys? Well, they they got started as um, as Aspirant. They um, owned a lot of you know smaller properties around the city. And then they started doing development um, as Aspirant around 2016 or so and kept getting bigger and bigger. Um, you know, they first kind of got on the radar. I think you were at the Riverfront Times when that first uh, story came out um, with a lot of tenant concerns about properties being kept up and some of their business practices. Um, but, you know, that kind of passed, and they stopped using that aspirant name a few years later. Um, and they were always very quiet. They never really talked to the media much um, mm-hmm. with, with some of their projects. You know, we kind of knew who they, who they were, but you'd have to go and look at the business records. And, and that's when we kind of realized uh, maybe four or five years ago, oh, this is STL Citywide is, is aspirant. It's yeah. uh, um, Vic Alston and uh, Sid uh, Chakravarty, uh, who are brothers. Um, and anyway, they've kind of become more public in the last few years because they've become one of the biggest developers in in St. Louis in terms of multifamily housing. Yeah, I mean, they're not just doing, they kind of started out, I think, buying like these smaller brick buildings, maybe eight families in them, 10 families in them. They're doing some really big projects right now. Yeah, yeah, really big projects, uh, especially in uh, the DeBolver Place uh, neighborhood. They have like, they have two, three actually on on Pershing up there right north of uh, Forest Park. Um, they've got, uh, if you drive, you know, on 44 from downtown, like I do to get home, uh, you'll see a crane in Soulard. That's one of their projects on, uh, it's on seventh street. I believe used to be a, uh, truck dealership that they're building a pretty big apartment and a parking garage on right now. And so you did kind of a deep dive into how all this is working out for them and for their tenants. What are some of the biggest complaints that you're hearing these days about their work? Um, well, you know, to, uh, in terms of the story, what we kind of wanted to do, I feel like we didn't we didn't break too much new news. It was kind of, uh, you know, this has kind of come out in dribs and drabs, and we kind of wanted to put everything into one story mm-hmm. so people could kind of 
know who these guys were and what their what their past is and what they're all doing and kind of get it all into one place in a, a comprehensive take. Um, but, you know, while we were kind of talking about it and, and what's the hook, I some of these uh, tenants in the Hudson reached out to me and said, you know, it's a, a luxury apartment. I mean, these these guys are paying, you know, two grand a month in, in rent, you know, pretty high rents. And they were just very frustrated at construction was still going on they they've you know recently told me that it's you know seems like it's getting close to being done but you know they're paying two grand a month they were promised all these amenities it's taken a while to get these amenities you know uh, uh, i think they've got a spa in there and the uh, the gym and a, a sky bar or a bar on the top floor stuff like that and they were just kind of frustrated that it had taken a long time and all this construction noise and they kind of felt you know a lot of them said they showed up to move into their apartments and you know their apartments weren't ready you know and they had you know you halls full of their stuff outside and they were just you know kind of they felt like management wasn't being straight with them on on how long it would take so that was kind of a hook um it's kind of similar to some of the complaints from that that story when they were you know these guys were known as aspirant that the riverfront times ran um and it was just kind of a you know a look at um, you know, maybe these these tenants had some questions about their management practices. Yeah, we should give actually Kay Petren uh, is the reporter who did that for the Riverfront Times back in the day. It still serves as a great sort of guide to all the problems tenants were having with them. Kay, of course, went on to work here at St. Louis Public Radio, so I got to give them that shot out. Um, but they blamed in your story, you were able to talk to them or at least get a statement from them, and they blamed supply chain issues for some of these complaints. Does that track? Does that seem like a plausible explanation? in light of the record of evidence you're looking at? I mean, you know, a lot of, there there are a lot of supply chain issues. There's a lot of labor issues, you know, I uh, that it could be an explanation for construction issues taking this long. But, you know, all, all this was going on and they were moving people in and kind of promising dates, you know, that they didn't hit to these tenants. At the same time, a, a rival developer was building a apartment complex across the street. And, and that's kind of what spurred my interest in Lux, because uh, across the street, there's another developer. It was, it was known as Pearl, and now it's part of uh, CRG, but Jeff, Jeff Tegethoff. Um, he had gone through, gotten all these city approvals. He bought land from Metro. It was going to be a you know, transit-oriented development right next to the Metrolink station there. Um, and this neighborhood association that Lux's principals and their lawyer brought back from the dead, essentially, it had been, you know, nobody had done anything with it for a decade or more, sued them. Um, and, you know, at first, you know, it was a lawsuit going back and forth, but then construction stopped on, on that Pearl uh, development, or, or it's known as Expo at the Forest Park. Um, you know, and, and reportedly that was because, you know, some of the lenders got spooked over mm. over whether, you know, this, this clouded the title and construction halted for a few months. So basically one developer was hurting another developer in St. Louis and, you know, St. Louis can can use, you know, all the, all the development and investment it can get. Yeah, and so this had big repercussions for that project. That project is now, again, underway. And it was interesting to hear um, the people you talked to. They're like, man, I just wish I had moved across the street <laughs> instead. <laughs> that's that's what one of Corey, who, who we talked to, yeah, you could see it, you know, going up across the street. But but you know it was interesting that they were they were moving all these people in as fast as they could before they were completely done with with the unit which isn't completely unprecedented but you know the 
they're going to have a rival open across the street mm-hmm. and you know they they claim that is not it has nothing to do with you know why that organization sued uh, that that rival development, they say they were concerned about parking, but again, you know, that development was supposed to be a transit-oriented development, mm-hmm. and it's it's got a lot of parking. They asked for a little less than normal, arguing that you know we worked with Metro on this to buy their land. We're right next to a MetroLink station. We don't need as much parking as other developments yeah. uh, in St. Louis. So that's one of the bigger issues with these guys beyond just people who are paying them rent and, and feel like they're not getting what they want. Another issue that you kind of delve into has to do with tax incentives. And we know that those are very common for big projects in St. Louis. But how has getting these tax incentives helped fuel the growth of this company? Um, well, a lot of their their early projects got tax incentives as, as big, you know, big investments, big uh, uh, multifamily projects do in St. Louis. Um, you know, it was pretty run of the mill, and um, but city officials kind of got a little wary when one of their projects, uh, I believe it was in Soulard, um, and then also one in, in DeBolivar Place, they they sold a couple of years after building it. Um, I believe, excuse me, it was the one in DeBolivar Place that they they sold a couple of years after finishing, and they made a big profit. You know the. The buyer from San Francisco, you know, reported the sales price. It was more than they said, you know, it would cost to build, which is how the city calculated how much tax abatement to give them. And so the city has since instituted a policy. This was uh, 2020, um, where they will try to claw back some of their tax incentives on, you know, not just Lux, but other projects if the developer sells for for a windfall. Yeah, I mean, you had some interesting stats in this story. Uh, Lux sold it to a San Francisco property group for nearly 50% more than the $30 million it told the city the development would cost. A big profit there. Some officials, you report, worried the tax break was used in this case to secure a larger sales price from the buyer. So the city's not happy about that. At the same time, there has been some argument. Uh, NextSTL.com, there was a great essay that appeared in this where the SAS was saying, why are we giving such big tax breaks to somebody who has this kind of track record? There's a lot of unhappy tenants. This goes back years. And under different identities of this company, should we be looking at the value that somebody brings as part of whether or not they get these tax breaks? Is that something that city officials are are talking about or questioning at this point? Well, since since some of those early projects, you know, to uh, to be clear, the city has not given them any any more tax abatement. The the Hudson, for instance. Um, under the old regime of, of the city development office, uh, Otis Williams, you know, when they found out that they were trying to use this this neighborhood association to block the the expo, they basically said, look, we're not going to sign off, give final approval to your tax abatement, which they did give initial approval to. The Board of Aldermen did pass. Um, and I, I will note one alderman tried to say, hey, why are we giving them tax abatement when they're hurting another development in the city? And uh, it was Heather Navarro, who's no longer on the board, and she was basically, you know, shouted down, scolded because she broke the rule of aldermanic courtesy. You never say anything uh, about somebody else, a project in somebody else's ward. But anyway, despite all that, the, the city development agency has not approved tax abatement for the Hudson, the, the, the 
project that um, I talked to a lot of the tenants for. Um, Lux actually sued the city over that and said, hey, you got to give us tax abatement. This is a, this is a ministerial act. You got to just sign, the Board of Aldermen passed it and you got to sign off. The city does not have discretion in who it gives tax breaks to. We're, we're going to sue because everybody deserves these was sort uh, of their Kind of, and, and that, you know, the Board of Aldermen has already passed it. But, you know, the, the office that, that gives the tax abatement, it's, it's created by state statute and they have some discretion, was the city's argument. And Lux eventually dropped that. So they do not have tax abatement on the Hudson a project, well, all tax abatements, you know, developers say, hey, we can't build this without tax abatement. This wouldn't happen. Yeah. Well, they're still building it. They're still building it. So going forward, do you think they're going to get the cold shoulder from City Hall on future tax abatement? What's what's your sense of the mood over there as it relates to this development company? Well, they haven't since asked for any other tax abatement, so we haven't haven't quite seen how the city will react. I, I did sit down with uh, the new kind of regime of the city development office uh, late last year to talk about the city's new approach to tax incentives. And uh, Noel Pfeffer, who's uh, the mayor's um, uh, kind of in her cabinet. And Director of Policy stuff. and uh, Development. Policy and Development, yeah. thank you. Uh, you know, I asked him about it uh, and he was like, you know, we've got this new framework and uh, basically said, I, I don't know how well uh, Vic and Sid are going to do under this new framework. So it hasn't been tested yet, but they kind of have indicated, you know, they'll, they'll take a critical eye. So they did give you some comments on your story. Your story, it's fair to say this story was not a puff piece. You took kind of a, a very serious look at what they're up to. Have you gotten any pushback since this story was published? Um, I, I haven't. We haven't really heard uh, from from the developers, you know, but we tried to be fair. You know, to be fair, they have invested a lot of money in St. Louis. Sure. Um, they have brought, um, you know, I was actually just talking to somebody the other night who lives in the neighborhood in, in DeBolivar Place. And, you know, he said he, he's an older gentleman and he said, you uh, you know, a lot of young people live here now. Um, you know, it's a, so that's not necessarily a bad thing. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of neighbors aren't aren't thrilled with the company, but you know, they acknowledge, hey, they brought in a lot of younger people, high highly paid uh, professionals. You know, you got to be if you're affording rents like that. Um, so, you know, to be fair, they've invested a lot of money. Mm-hmm. St. Louis can, you know, can use uh, all the investment it can get. And we did hear um, from some uh, listeners who had some thoughts on this company. People sent us a couple emails. Um, we've also heard from somebody on our Facebook page. There are definitely some some complaints about this company, but it remains to be seen if they can solve these problems with their tenants and, and what's going to happen at City Hall. Jacob Barker, thank you so much for joining us today. Hey, thanks again for having me. Today's episode was produced by Emily Woodbury with audio engineering and podcast design by Aaron Dorr. Our executive producer is Alex Hoyer. St. Louis on the Air is a production of St. Louis Public Radio. Understanding starts here. Do you find yourself regularly listening to episodes of St. Louis on the Air? suggest us to a friend you think might enjoy our conversations and leave us a review and rating on apple podcasts on the app store it's the simplest way to help people discover our show thanks st louis public radio is a member supported service of the university of missouri st louis Support comes from Missouri Forest Products Association, committed to sustainable and sound conservation of the state's forests, which support more than 41,000 Missouri jobs, resulting in a $10 billion industry. 
Choosewood.com.